We're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 389, uh, a.k.a. Year 8, Week 17, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC, and since you're irregularly scheduled Clubhouse broadcast, uh, this is why it's important to get my notifications in the club, so follow the club there, the Anarchist Experience or at me at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. Uh, due to some scheduling issues, uh, this is the only time this week that we could get together and do something of a show. Uh, so that being said, what is going on with you this week, MC? Uh, we just went to a small conference, not conference, um, a lecture from another economist that happened to visit the island. His name is Mark Skousen. I've heard the uh, name. How'd that yeah, go? so I went really good. Um, he was talking about minimum minimum wage. So if you want to talk about minimum wage, uh, that's where I am. Okay. I mean, I think we've well established on this program that the minimum wage is, no matter what the government says, zero. Uh, yeah, and sometimes they create more zero minimum wages, than, and, so, and sometimes they just don't matter at all. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, the difference you know, coming from Hawaii to here in New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire doesn't have a state minimum wage. And we've talked about this before. The federal minimum wage is so low that I don't know a single job that pays it. Um, <laughs> like, you know, se- last year when I was, like, pushing for a raise, uh, there were signs outside of, like, McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts that were advertising, you know, $17 to start plus bonus. We'll train. Yeah, and so so basically, what what I learned today is that you know sometimes the minimum wage doesn't matter, uh, but when it does matter, it's only doing bad things. Right. Uh, and so, for example, uh, you know, it didn't it doesn't hurt very much in uh, New Hampshire, but uh, since it's a federal minimum wage, it, it affects you know everywhere, including right. uh, America, Samoa, and. They had some uh, tuna packing plants that that were uh, in business because of, of uh, labor was very cheap there, and and it was okay there because it, you know the 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 economy was uh, you know much it basically has a different value for the dollar you know right. for what you get so the dollar goes a lot further there, and basically they got they got priced out of business and so uh, unemployment shot way up and uh, you know companies went under and, and people just didn't have any work at all uh, so that was that was a tragedy uh, caused by the minimum wage I want to make a quick correction and then I want to ask a question to tie it into another topic we've talked about sure. um, a couple of years ago the sign said fifteen dollars an hour not 17 now they say 17. Right. So over the course nice. of two years, plus the inflationary pressures, um, the, 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 the low end wages here in New Hampshire 
are, are pushing that mark. Um, and the inflationary pressures is kind of what I wanted to, to bring up. How is it that American Samoa, the dollar is strong enough to, I guess, counteract or fight against those inflationary pressures uh, and be strong enough to where well, minimum wage is a problem? Um, I don't know. Some of it's climate. Um, there, there's a lot of evidence that, you know, closer you get to the equator, you get warmer climates. And, and uh, so, so you, you need um, less things. You need less electricity to survive, for example. Um, and okay. so, uh, you, it, you know, basically people can get by on, on lower amounts of, of, of uh, pay. And, and if you can get by with lower amounts, then that, that drives the, you know, the competition down. So, yeah. uh, you know, just like a kid living with his mom and dad don't need $15 an hour, a $10 an hour job might be, you know, just satisfactory for them, yeah. um, you know, to get their foot in the door. Uh, the government says, no, you're not allowed to do that, though. <laughs> right. I remember... I guess this, you know, could apply here too. Um, around 2007, I was uh, a hiring manager for an insurance company, so I was like looking through all the resumes and you know past pay performance and whatever. And there was a, a female that came in for the job interview. Um, I, I'm speculating at this point, but I think she was like a military spouse, um, because like, why move from Texas to Hawaii if not you know for that reason. Uh, but she was like a former assistant manager at Taco Bell. And I went, oh, okay, that's, you know, respectable. Um, but her salary at Taco Bell in Texas in 2007 was like 14000 a year. And that, like, that took me aback a little bit as far as, you know, I, I'm going to say depressed wages, even though that was probably of market value in Texas at that time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, it, it might hold the point that the, you know, the warmer climates, like, I don't, I, I never understood, you know, how that, how that works. Right. Like what is, what is it about that area where you can get, where everything is uh, relatively inexpensive and you can get by on so much less? Like what makes, what makes, is it the oil? What makes the dollar strong down? There? Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would say it's a lot of things and, and, and it's a lot of it is just, just competition and market forces do do strange things that you know uh, we'll, we'll never actually fully actually figure out. Um, but the solution isn't for the government to come along and say, "Oh, well, this should be the price," because then you screw up uh, any you know the competition factor of that. So. Right. So wa- so wage controls, price controls, always a problem uh, when the government yeah, gets well, involved. I mean, sometimes a problem, not always, and so that's that's the thing we're talking about uh at lunch was that uh some sometimes when, when the government sets their minimum wage close to whatever the equilibrium is then it doesn't have any effect at all and and then but then the government gets to claim that they're uh they're, that they're helping even though yeah it's it's not really making a difference that's just the clock striking you know the broken clock being right twice a day right or yeah. getting out in front of the prey or, you know I mean, I mean, sometimes, I mean, it's, it's possible to, to get close to the equilibrium yeah. just by, uh, you know, understanding that, you know, mo- like you can look at the signs, you know, the, 
the wanted signs. Well, if everybody's asking for fifteen dollars, you know, or if everybody's promoting fifteen dollars an hour to work there, uh, well, that's the minimum wage because right. You know, and and so uh, I'm sure somewhere in the country, right, the minimum wage is seven twenty five an hour, naturally. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And American Samoa apparently significantly less than that. Uh, here in New Hampshire, significantly more than that. Without you know, without any state mandate. Yeah, and and of course it's always changing over time too. So right uh, during the time when they implemented the minimum wage in America Samoa, that uh, I think that was. Oh crap! I, I totally forget. Maybe in the nineties. Okay. Um, I I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. Yeah. So, but anyway, there there was two major uh, tuna plants. Packing, packing facilities that, that closed, and that really messed up their economy. You know, so now you have a whole bunch of people that that want to work, and then you, and you also there's another problem that minimum wage creates. If you set it too high, you create another class of people that that were happy not working at all, but the the if the wage is high enough, then all of a sudden they're competing with people that that really want to work at lower wages. I, I think I understand what you're saying, but exp- explain it to me. Yeah, so let's say there's, uh, you know, basically a stay-at-home mom, and she's fine just, you know, staying at home all the time. Right. Um, but if you put, push the wages high enough, she's going to go, oh, I need to be out of the house. I need to get okay. you know, get a real job. So, and tw- now say $20 an hour, she'll say, like, oh, now it's worth it for me to not stay at home. Exactly. And, and once that happens, now she's competing... Uh, with other people that, that you know might genuinely need uh, the ten dollars an hour, you know. <laughs> okay. And so, who are they going to hire? You know, the the I don't know, maybe. Uh, I mean, there's 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 a whole bunch of reasons why somebody would not get hired. Some some of them are even race based. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, you don't say. White, yeah, people with white sounding names get hired. Uh, faster than people with Indian sounding names or whatever. The the other thing you touched on is it's always, it's a a back and forth argument between like the right and the left uh, when it comes to the minimum wage and people from the right will say the minimum wage is not meant to be a living wage. It's meant for the, you know, people entering. And then the people from the left will point out the historical facts, uh, I guess, that it was actually intended to be a living wage at the time it was created and has fell so far away from what a living wage would be that it no longer applies, even though it should. And that was part of the whole fight for 15 pitch, right? This was supposed to be a living wage, and it no longer is. I would make the argument that in a lot of of cases, the minimum wage was implemented to uh, make... Uh, it, was a, it was a racial decision. For example, um, if there was no minimum wage, a, a black person could undercut uh, a white person as far as how much they're willing to accept. Or a dirty and, Mexican uh, coming over to pick fruit today. Yeah, by raising the minimum wage, now um, you have, you have, if you have the choice of uh, a white person and a black person, don't, you don't have the ability to ask for a lower, you know, a lower price. Uh, then, um, who are you going to pick? Well, a lot of white people would 
pick the white person just automatically. Um, and so it, and, and so that's a really a bad thing if, if you're uh, a black person trying to enter the market uh, because you have you have no leverage. You have no way of saying, well, well, you know, I'll, I'll prove to you how good I am by I'll take a lower wage to start and then work work my way up, get yeah. the skills, and work my way up the ladder. Well, if you don't even get on the ladder, that's a real problem. Yeah. And okay, so I. I take I have some personal contention with that and I think it might just be where I'm at in my life now. Um I'm I'm tired of taking less to prove myself and then not oh. seeing the not seeing the pay increase once I do. Sure, sure. And that and that I think a lot of that is just whatever uh, industry you're in and and, and the amount of competition. Uh, there, there's a lot of employers that all they want to do is pay the least possible for, to the employee. Right. Even even if they're getting a lot, a lot out of the employee, they, they, they would rather pay less to somebody who's doing less work. Um, and, and, and it's a really weird thing. And basically, you just, you just have to find... Uh, either a, a better industry to be in or a better employer or whatever it is. Okay. Like, I hear that as advice, but I also... It, it seems to be standard practice throughout my life. Right? Well, we'll bring you on board. You know, the job ad said 17, but, you know, we'll give you 15, and then you can work your way up. And then, like, it never... Ha- and then, you know, by the time by the time you get to the 17... Right then, it's the inflationary pressures eroding away the purchasing power, right? Sure. And I'm not—I know I'm not the only one, right? Because oh, yeah. I'm not dumb. Like that's the—that's the frustrating part, um, and maybe a little arrogant and overconfident sometimes. But I'm not dumb, and when when given the job, whatever that job may be, I'm usually pretty good at it. Maybe even damn good at it, better than most, you know, if I'm qualified for it, you know. If you're, if you're looking at like there, there are certain like I'm not a doctor, I'm not an engineer, I'm not an architect, right? But I don't apply for those jobs, you know. Yeah. I apply for jobs that I'm suited towards, and I think I'm the most suited towards any job I apply towards, apply for. And I guess the the dichotomy, and what I be, you know what I believe the dichotomy is, and if you want to, if you want to call this a feature or a bug or whatever of the capitalist system uh, is that it, it is in the nature of the system for the employer to pay as little as possible and to get the maximum work out of the employee as possible. And the exact opposite holds true for the employee, right? Like the employee is trying to get the maximum dollars possible for the least amount of work and the least amount of effort possible. Right. And then those, when those things, butt into each other, that's when an equilibrium is then reached and concessions are made on each side. Right. The, the employee will work a little bit harder to get a little bit more pay and the owner, uh, the employer will pay a little bit more, right. To get that employee working. Right. So that, you know, they, they can't pay the, they, they can't, they can't have a slave 
right? And you can't get paid to do nothing uh, unless you're working for the government in some form or capacity. So somewhere in the middle, you know, there, there are concessions made on each side. Um, and so, it, it, like you said, it, it depends on the market, right? Sometimes it's an employer's market and everyone ends up working for less. You know, one of the reasons why there's signs outside of McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts here in New Hampshire offering so much, you know, for what most would consider uh, a low a low wage, menial, entry level job for high school students, um, is because it's it's an employee's market at the moment. In my in your opinion. area, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, at least here, right? Like unemployment yeah, yeah. is low. Like places, yeah, exactly. places can't there, keep. There really should be people, you know, coming from other places that are struggling, like you know California, where uh, uh, you know electricity rates and gas prices are through the roof. Um, you know, people will find it much easier to uh, you know, survive in uh, in New Hampshire. Yeah, um, I was listening to they they've started doing it, and one of the reasons why this podcast has been rescheduled is tomorrow night, Saturday the 17th, um, I will be filling in on the Saturday night episode of Free Talk Live, and then I will be sticking around for the extended, ever-so-long version of Beard Talk Live because I'm one of the handful of castmates that has a beard worthy of Beard Talk <laughs> Live. Um, but I was listening you know, to the, to the last, last week's episode of beer talk live and they, they take calls and it's uh, a loosey goose format cause it's not on the radio. It's podcast only. Uh, so check it out if you're interested in that or just wait for me to be on the show and call in tomorrow, uh, depending on when you listen to this. Um, but they, they, they had a caller on and he said like, you know, he's from Michigan. I'm not going to give out too much information. He's from Michigan. And he was saying like during the Obama administration, there was no work in Michigan. So he went West young man, to like ply his trade you know <laughs> and i like, go oh, yeah you know i hope to never have to do that uh because i kind of like it here but it, right. you know i also i also i i see i hear things like that and my immediate thought is like that's a that's a product of a bygone era right like in my mind that's what people did during the depression or the Great Depression, or you know, or things like that, where the where the local area, you know, like the steel mill closing down, and oh, what are you going to do? Well, you don't get reeducation that quickly, so you just you move, you know, to to wherever it is you can go. Um, so to hear it, you know, still going uh, around during the Obama administration was a little eye opening for me. Uh, but I also, you know, with the with the California lockdowns and all the dumb assery and nonsense that's going on in California, right? I, I see headlines like U-Haul literally runs out of trucks in <laughs> California because people are, you know, mass migrating out of there. So it is happening whether or not they, you know, find New Hampshire as the, the beacon of liberty and freedom uh, to, to move to, who knows? In higher, in higher pay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and but that's the thing, right? Like the, the higher pay is great um but the the other pressures are pushing up everything else right yes. like it, it has gotten significantly more expensive to live the you know the cost of gas yeah. uh it got pushed up right the the cost it's of like food and groceries got pushed up rent. rents got pushed up as well 
and when rent goes up, well, that's uh, you know taxes are going up all the time too with that. So, yeah. So it's not it's not like the it's not like this is a great place to be necessarily, just because of the pay. Right. right like you know, several years ago, I I always remember this example because everyone used to bring up like the McDonald's and the Walmart issue. Right. It's like, well, they, those guys are only paying like the cheapest. Well, there was like an oil boom in North Dakota some years ago. Right. And everyone was moving to North Dakota and everyone who was living in North Dakota was getting jobs in the oil fields because, hey, that's where the money was. So there were signs outside of Walmart at that time. When was this? Like early, early teens, late aughts, somewhere in that somewhere in that vicinity. I don't recall specifically, uh, but there was there were, you know, pictures on the Internet. Of, of help wanted signs outside of Walmart paying 16 to $18 an hour for a Walmart position, like cashier, stalker, greeter, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and that's because in that particular market, they were competing with the oil fields. You know, Walmart couldn't keep people on board uh, because there was so much more money to be made elsewhere. And they had to find a way to draw those people out of the oil fields uh, or oil derricks or whatever you want to, you know, whatever that is in North Dakota and bring them back into retail. And so that drove that up. But I think at that time, right, the cost of living probably didn't take a significant hit because it was a booming economy, right? Like there, you know, the, the economy itself was healthy. And I think overall in a lot of places, um, we're seeing, we're seeing rises across the board, not because of a healthy economy, but because of an unhealthy economy, Right. Like the the window was missed, and I was a, I was a part of this missed window um, for buying real estate or houses, at least in my opinion, right? Because prices skyrocketed, and now interest rates are like over six percent or whatever it is. And I'm like, damn, you know that was that was the time. That was the that was the place. The place of the time was right, uh, and it was a you know another missed opportunity. And who knows when that's going to come back around, right? Like, you know, like we care what the Fed does, but they, they control the interest rates. And with, with the uncertainty and the inflation, uh, it, it seems like those prices on those assets aren't coming down anytime soon either. MC? Yep. And some people don't want the prices to come down. The people that own the places, the people that got in and bought it, like, the, you know, that's, that's an appreciating asset, right? I mean, we used, we, we had, you know, old friend of the show and former boss friend of mine, um, you know, was a, re- was a realtor. And he always said, like, you know, it's never a bad time to get into real estate. I go, well, really? And his position at that time, and maybe still is now, that there's always money to be made in real estate, just maybe not, you know, where you, where you want it to be, right? Like, if, if you're buying your first home, Maybe it's not the best time to get into real estate. Uh, but if you're not looking for a roof over your head, right, maybe some sort of investment property is more up your alley, right? Maybe it's time to buy some land and develop. Who knows? Uh, but in his opinion, it was always a good time to get in. And I, that's that advice has kind of stuck with me. Um, but again, uh, hamstrung by my own ineptitude when it comes to, like, pulling the trigger and making stuff like that happen. So. A little frustrating, uh, personally, with with the way things are going, um, and what I can personally do in my life to mitigate those effects 
uh, or to, you know, or, or to, to, to come out ahead. Right. And for me, it's just like, all right, you know, all, uh, one basket, all the eggs, right. Just fucking as much as I can afford, uh, Bitcoin is where it's at for me. Oh, what's that? Got a little bit of extra money. Get me some Bitcoin and in the hopes that it will outpace inflation, which seems likely, uh, but also outpaces the value too, right? Like if it just, if it's just a store value like gold, uh, then then you don't come out ahead in the end. It's got to, it's got to perform better, uh, to outpace all the negative nonsense. And I know there were some memes, uh, that got, got apparently like taken down from Twitter, right? But the Canadian government, you know, poo pooed buying Bitcoin as uh, repugnant and irrational and detrimental. And someone posted the facts that, you know, had you bought, you know, a little bit of Bitcoin at the beginning of the crisis, uh, you would not have to worry about, you know, their prime ministers fucking, fucking around with the economy. Um, and I, I want to say that the same holds true here. It just doesn't seem to be pacing at the moment. Is that fair? Yeah. And then whatever yeah, you well, know, the, institutional Bitcoin investors. Market is weird. Go ahead. Bitcoin market is weird. Um, the the thing that's hurting it the most right now is all the scams that happened. Um, if if those didn't happen, then the the price would be higher than it is now. But um, it is what it is. So. Okay, let me ask you then, because this this has always been more your area of expertise. Is it the scams? Because the the com- the comparative charts seems like it's institutional investors and it's pacing with the stock market and every other financial instrument that's uh, data is available for right now. Like when we, when we got into it, right? Like when Bitcoin first hit the market, it was anarchist money, not a part of the system, bro, let's do this thing. Um, and now if it's like, if the stock market goes down and takes down Bitcoin with it or the stock market goes up and that's when we see the price of Bitcoin rise, uh, it's it seems like it's no longer the anarchist money. Yeah, I mean, so, sometimes it does follow the market, and then sometimes it doesn't. Um, and so when when it went from twenty thousand to sixty thousand, it was outpacing the market. Yeah, um, but a lot, a lot of the reason why it was going up so fast is because there was a whole bunch of scammers that were basically lending to themselves or lending to other scammers that were buying the Bitcoin and then using that as leverage. And so everything was leveraged over and over. And the the assumption was, well, if Bitcoin keeps going up, then we'll, we'll all be rich because we're lending to each other. Right. And then we'll eventually we'll cash out. But, um, because it was leveraged so high and, uh, there, there was still a lot of spending going on. You know, these corporations are growing very fast, hiring thousands of people, uh, and making bad decisions with their money, um, they, they couldn't keep up with the payments that they were promising people. And then those people wanted their money back. And that's when you find out it's not there. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so there was a lot of scams and that's the, the that's the main reason why, uh, it's, it's not outpacing the market right now is because it, it went from 20 to 60 based on, uh, a bunch of, uh, leverage. Okay. And well, that just so means that the current price is the correction. Right, like this it, is it what is it should correction. have been. Well, it's a it's a correction, but it's probably it's probably lower than it should be. 
Um, but that's because when you have a whole bunch of scams collapse and the price goes down, people all of a sudden are not interested anymore. So now people, you know, that the whole the whole meme of oh, Bitcoin is dead is yeah. that's the current time we're in right now. Alive Bitcoin and is well. dead. And, uh, until it's not. So, <laughs> uh, which is why, which is why I'm still in the accumulation phase. Up, the only thing it takes for Bitcoin to go up is for people to stop selling. Now there are a lot of people that that own Bitcoin to convince not to sell. However, there's a lot more people with other things like gold and you know whatever other asset there are. Um, so uh, Bitcoin is still small in the in the global scale. Um, you know, wait wait to Bitcoin hits like, you know. 100,000 or uh, 400,000, and then then it, it'll be probably more in line with whatever the market is doing. All right. I mean, if, if it hits 400,000 anytime soon, I'm gonna, I'm, I might be part yeah. of that, like, early retirement phase. Like that's, yeah, and that's why I say, like, if, if you really want early retirement, um, uh, it, it might be better to get into Monero, which is, you know, again, more, more risky, but yeah. um, it has a much lower market cap. Yeah, and, and so Monero used to be in the top ten um, cryptocurrencies, and now it's lower than that. And so uh, the the hope is to get back in um, because it's one of the, the least scammy uh, cryptocurrencies. <laughs> yes. So yeah, and then uh, you know if it hits top ten again, then then you're you're looking at the equivalent or or better than than Bitcoin being at four hundred thousand. All right. Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll start diversifying ever so slightly into Monero a little bit while sure. maintain. Um, the other crypto news this week, I don't know if you, if you know enough about it to comment at all. Um, the Ethereum merge. Yeah. Instead of a fork, which I, I never really, I, I never really got into Ethereum because it's more like a corporation or it's, it's an asset that does other things than just be an asset. Okay. And so it's basically, it, it, it's good because it adds utility to the asset. Um, however, it, it adds complexity and it adds um, uh, another risk involved. And that is, since it's an asset that does things like you know, like computation type stuff, um, well, it, like uh, something like CryptoKitties could come around and, and flood the network, and then all of a sudden these people's apps you know stop working. Um, so that's to me, Ethereum is, is, is a really neat experiment, uh, but um, it's, it's just weird, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's, it, it adds another layer of complexity onto money that I don't think, I don't think is really good uh, if you want to call it money. Fair enough. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's not going to be, you know, it, you know, Ethereum could surpass Bitcoin. It really could. Um, Do you okay? So real quick, I'm getting a lot of wind noise, so I might I might let you go here in a minute. Um, okay. But do you th- do you think that the move to proof of stake over proof of work, which is a big dividing line amongst the crypto community? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a fan of proof of stake. I think it's it works, and I think it's a, a good model. And I'm I'm sorry, a proof of work. I'm a fan of proof of work. Okay. It's the original. It's what works. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why they, they use it. Not, not just that it's unhackable, but, um, it's, it's, uh, it's simple enough. Okay. And, and it's basically proven to work. Now proof of stake. Um, yeah, we'll see. 
You know, I, I, that's what I was going to say. That might be the experimental part of this endeavor. Sure. Uh, because they're, they're going full, full head first into proof of stake. Uh, yeah. And if you're saying, you know. And, and one of the main reasons they would want to do that is, well, because mining, mining is expensive. But again, proof of work, th- that's part of the concept, is that it is expensive to make Bitcoin. Yeah. That's, that's one, of, one of the reasons why it has worth is because, you know, somebody spent a lot of oil uh, creating the damn things. Yeah. And, you know, and but that pisses off the environmentalists, right? Oh, sure. Wasting yeah. so well, much money printing, you know, mining this digital nothing. <laughs> all the trees are getting burned. All the oil is getting used up for what? For Bitcoin? <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> you know? Well, the good thing is CO2 is plant food, so it's yeah. good for the plants. You, we've always been the oh darn, and I, I I know your thoughts on the you know the environmental issue, but like to me, it's always been well, it's built into the price, right? Like it's yeah, it's built into if electricity is that cheap, you don't get to tell me what I spend, you know what I use my electricity for, right? Like I pay, for, I could leave my yep. air conditioner running twenty four seven if I wanted to, and burn up mm-hmm. all that oil. Not even in the house, just to keep my apartment cold, right? Or I could mine Bitcoin and maybe see some value, right? But as long as I'm paying for the electricity, I get to choose what I do with that electricity, right? And if if Bitcoin mining is so, you know, harmful or damaging to the environment or to the grid or whatever, right, then you would see you would see the countering price increase of the electricity as it gets used too much, right? As, as demand outstrips the supply, uh, kind of like what's going on in California that everybody's, you know, hustling away from, um, <laughs> right. I, you know, or, or, uh, was it Texas during that ice storm? Was it last year or the year before? I don't remember. Right. There, there were people who were like heating their homes, but they were on a variable delivery fucking power plan. And so the electric bill for like the, the two weeks that they were in, you know, sheets of ice was like thousands of dollars and people were freaking out, right? Like, this is why Texas needs to nationalize the grid. This is the reason <laughs> like, well, no, you chose into it and it was an emergency, right? Like you, you could have died, uh, but you were supplied with elect, you, you know, you surprised, you were supplied with energy at a price appropriate to the situation. Right, so that everyone did not run out of energy like they're doing in California um, in the middle of a crisis, right? Like to me, that was to me as as much as uh, as heat as Texas got for that. That was like the epitome of market mechanism in action. Yep. Well, I'm about to go on a hike, so I'm going to let you go, and then All hopefully. Right. You have some good articles to read, and I'll hear about them later. Yes, I do. I've got tons of headlines. Yeah. Peace out. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So let's get into headlines for the remainder of this little shindiggity. Uh, Again, recording at an odd hour, uh, so couldn't really get it all pulled together on time. Um, Headline, cop fails to protect own informant from rape, then charges her with a drug crime. A headline, majority of voters say Biden is dividing the U.S., according to a survey. Headline, can Congress reign in the Fed? Uh, that would have been a good headline if we had, like, the usual cast of characters. Same with this one. Jones Act leaves U.S. short of transport options as rail strike looms. 
Uh, I think the, the rail people came to an agreement, so that's not even going to be an issue. Uh, headline, pilot programs give 2,000 actors, musicians, painters, and writers universal basic income for three years. Uh, headline, Libertarian Party faces state rebellion. That's likely going to be the one we lead with. Uh, headline, New Jersey bag ban. And finally, headline, we need a common understanding of what capitalism means. Um, we're going to lead with the Libertarian Party uh, article here. Libertarian Party faces state rebellions. Um, because despite the fact that I self-describe as an anarchist uh, among libertarian circles, like, you know, among normal people, right, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll accept the label libertarian. But in a room of libertarians, I am the anarchist. And at a table of anarchists, right, I'm the anarcho-capitalist because I believe that the hyphenations matter. Uh, but despite that, uh, being in New Hampshire, party politics is unavoidable number one, and libertarian party politics is so goddamn entertaining to me uh, that even though I don't participate, don't care, don't get involved, don't go to meetings, don't vote, don't do any of that stuff, uh, I am fascinated by the drama. It's like your own personal, uh, what is it, uh, real reality TV show. So when I see stuff like this and I go, oh, cool, you know, what's going on? And when other, you know, local libertarian podcasters uh, talk about their stuff, you know, their libertarian uh, party politics on their podcast, I definitely tune in to get all the juice and all the gossip and all the fun uh, of that stuff. So libertarian party faces state rebellions. The libertarian party's state affiliates in New Mexico and Virginia have broken away among ideological and procedural turmoil, and the Virginia branch may have dissolved entirely. Uh, we'll get into this, but one more thing on the New Hampshire thing. Uh, the New Hampshire party affiliates catch so much heat from the national parties, basically over Twitter, right? Like, the, whoever's running the account for the New Hampshire Libertarian Party is the spicy meme edge lord, uh, and it you know gets gets the attention of people it ought not to get the attention of, uh, and then the Libertarian National Party goes, "Come on, guys, come on, guys," and that's more party drama. That again, fascinating from the outside looking in and avoided entirely. Upon taking control of the Libertarian Party this May, leaders from the internal bloc known as the Mises Caucus quickly adopted, quote-unquote, national divorce as one of the retooled party's core rallying cries on Twitter. New national chair, Angela McArdle, proudly tweeted that she was organizing the LP like an insurgency, preparing for counterinsurgency operations. Uh, another fun thing real quick about the Mises Caucus, uh, they have the stigma or the, you know, whatever, the, the unfortunate... Um, stereotype of being racist and the racial divide. So when I see people here locally either, uh, you know, wearing their Mises caucus uh, uh, outfits or shirts or polos or whatever, or they identify as a member of the Mises caucus, I go, oh, so you're a racist, you know, and it's a great icebreaker for the conversation there. Uh, I don't believe it to be true. Uh, 
But when you post some of the stuff they post and say some of the things they say, I can understand why people may draw that conclusion for all caucus members as a whole, even though it's not true at all. Over the past three weeks, minus the bloody violence part, the state libertarian affiliates in New Mexico and Virginia have indeed divorced themselves from the party's national leadership, but the Libertarian National Committee is not letting them go peacefully without a fight. On August 25th, the Libertarian Party of New Mexico, LPNM, which achieved party ballot access status in 2018 thanks to the 9% presidential showing in 2016 that the that the uh, in showing in 2016 in that state by former two-term governor Gary Johnson announced that it was disaffiliating from the LNC. Again, also interjecting as we read through this here. Funny, right? How a, a party uh, adopting national divorce as a pitch line is having trouble with uh, state party divorce, right? Like there's there's an irony there. When you talk about, you know, when libertarians and anarchists talk about the ideals of voluntary interaction uh, and peaceful integration or whatever, uh, but but as soon as you try to disaffiliate, man, the status comes out. They just want to hold them down and make them apart. Uh, Back into the article. You have conspired with the faction inimicable to the principles of libertarianism to impose upon us officers and governing documents foreign to our rules, unchosen by our members, and unacknowledged by the laws of our state, State Chairman Chris Lucini wrote in a long bill of particulars, quote, you have adopted messaging and communications hostile to the principles for which the Libertarian Party was founded, serving no purpose other than to antagonize and embarrass Barris, end quote. At issue was an August 9th LNC letter declaring the New Mexico State Party's July 12th constitutional conventions to be null and void due to multiple procedural violations, including uh, involving the proper advance notice and the manner of the convention, uh, electronic. In a phone interview last week, Lucini theorized that the LNC's real objection was to a bylaw change. Uh, that the LPNM made at the convention, limiting the number of annual executive committee personnel changes to not more than two, thereby preventing the Mises Caucus or any other bloc from winning complete control of the state party in a single convention. While Lucini granted procedural errors over advance notice on an earlier convention prior to the July one, He said that the LNC's response have been unduly and unreasonably punitive and harassing. Violate a procedural rule, God forbid, commit heresy against Robert's rules of orders. They think us making a mistake justifies any action on their part. Rather than submit to national discipline, the LPNM chose secession. And that's another thing, right? The Robert's rules of orders. Oh my God, talk to any Libertarian Party member and they like... That's the fucking libertarian Bible when it comes to party politics. Order, order. This is not, you know, part of the rules. And it's a weird thing, too, because I was, I've never read Robert's Rules of Orders. I was familiar with it um, because several years ago I was part of a, I'm going to call it a men's group, um, a service-oriented men's group 
in Hawaii, and it was basically, you know, um, a, a group of guys, you pay your dues, and then the, the privilege of paying your dues is you get to volunteer for community projects in the area. So that it was a service organization, right? Like you, you, you'd say, like, you come to the table with your idea, like, hey, you know, this particular community or whatever needs this service done, uh, and then that particular men's group goes out and volunteers. But, you know, to, to, to sit in, like, one and only one of their member meetings, party meetings, whatever you want to call it, uh, was probably near the insanity level that libertarians go through with the whole Robert's Rules of Nonsense uh, or Robert's Rules of Orders. Um, ironically, I, 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 I was a member for a year, never renewed, never followed up, um, but for several years after that, would get the emails, the phone calls, and whatever to participate in these things. Like, no, that group wasn't for me, man. Like, it was, you know, it was too too much of a men, uh, of a boys' club uh, run by men who did not want to let go of their small little piece of the pie, much like the libertarians here with the Robert's Rules of Secession here. Uh, so the LPNM chose secession. No, we break up with you. The LNC responded in a meeting this past Sunday night. The National Committee refused to recognize LPNM's right to exit and instead voted 14 to 1 with two abstentions to disaffiliate itself from the New Mexicans. But the dis- divorce will likely come with the custody battle over the name. If state parties choose to disaffiliate and operate completely independent of the National LP, McCardle wrote, they will need to come up with a new name. So once again, jumping in here, why? Why must they come up with a new name? The only thing preventing them from using the exact same name as each other, right, would come down to some sort of use uh, of intellectual property, right? Otherwise, both could use the same name. Confusion would run amok in the marketplace, uh, and the market would figure it out, right? It would be like, you know, Coke and the dude whose name just happens to be spelled like Coke making a soft drink beverage, right? No, 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 you can't use your family name because Coke is already a product. Um, I think there was another one. There was a, there was the Coors, Coors family of beer, and then there was like the Coors family of soft drinks, and it was K-O-R-R-S or something like that, and Coors sued this small family-run beverage operation uh, for using their family name because it was too close to the Coors name and might lead to confusion in the marketplace. And uh, guess who won? Uh, no need to guess. The multi-million dollar, billion dollar, whatever adult beverage firm uh, won that one. No surprise there. So if the state parties choose to disaffiliate and operate completely independent of the national LP, they can keep whatever fucking name they want because libertarians and anarchists and people of this ilk aren't supposed to believe in intellectual property and it's supposed to be a market decision on who is then recognized by the marketplace, right, or by, you know, individuals operating in the marketplace as the real LPNM, right? Is it the state affiliation or is it the newly formed national affiliated uh, whatever it happens to be? So once again, libertarians acting ever so non-libertarian when it comes to own little party politics 
and whatever's involved. Uh, and back into the article. Licini, for one, finds it ironic that the LNC is threatening to sue use state force to protect its trademark over the term Libertarian Party, especially considering that the LPNM had been in operation for decades before the LNC got around to trademarking the term in 2000. Well said, good sir. The LNC anticipates that a new group of New Mexico Libertarians, the National Party bylaws require just 10, will arise to form a new state-level LP in New Mexico that the LNC will then recognize as an official affiliate, but the existing ballot access relationship with the state of New Mexico remains with the disaffiliated party for now. According to a special rule of order passed at the same LNC meeting Sunday night, the petitioners for such a new party must have held a public meeting which was open to all current National Party members and immediately previous affiliate party members with reasonable notice. The same day, the Virginia Libertarian Party's State Central Committee, SCC, announced it had dissolved itself after a 7-5 to five vote with one abstention, complaining that the national image of the party was now functionally indistinct from other alt-right parties and movements. The party's website and Facebook page disappeared. Its email addresses stopped working. The move was illegal, LNC Secretary Karen Ann Harlow says, uh, though the Virginia State Corporation Commission issued a letter Tuesday stating that the dissolution complies with the requirements of law. A parliamentarian consulted by the LNC countered that the dissolution required a vote of full party membership while now former Virginia LP Chair Holly Ward believes that the SCC itself is the only relevant members who needed to approve. McCardle also said in a post to the LNC's business listserv uh, that corporate dissolution papers do not make or break an affiliate and lots of affiliates don't have corporate status. Technically, in Virginia, another legal, uh, another legal step known as termination must also occur after the Virginia party's assets have been properly distributed. Ward charged, a f charged in a phone interview that the LNC had become a fraud, properly backing neither libertarian candidates nor libertarian messaging in a state whose party achieved a remarkable 6.5% running Robert Sarvis for governor in 2013 and another an exceptional for libertarians, 2.4% running Sarvis for Senate in 2014. The National Party has made the Libertarian banner toxic to potential candidates, Ward claimed, which she thinks helps explain why there are no LP candidates on Virginia ballots this year. In doing candidate outreach, Ward said, she found interested parties declined to run based on the current image and narrative of the National Party. Several local and regional Libertarian organizations in Virginia objected to the SEC's abrupt self-destruction and the conflict is ongoing. Disgruntled Virginia LP members are being asked to write letters of complaint to the state government, a move Ward considers a potential use of state force to achieve a political goal, and thus a libertarian no-no, again, well said. And the Libertarian Party of Northern Virginia has been decrying the move and vowing to continue to work with affiliates across the Commonwealth to conduct the business of the party. State party dissolution or not, 
There are various means for members to call for a new special convention and elect new officers who don't want to dissolve, Harlow said, uh, working on the presumption that the dissolution motion should be considered illegitimate. While the LNC has had to referee some internal party disputes recently, McCarter wrote in her email, we're still focused on advancing the message of liberty, supporting candidates, and moving the needle in the direction of freedom. I appreciate how level-headed and calm the remaining LPVA officers have been, and I anticipate they will get their affiliate back in order quickly. Virginia and New Mexico are not the only states experiencing libertarian turmoil. Massachusetts now has two functioning parties using the name libertarian, only one of which is recognized by the LNC. And at least to their credit, right, it's just a matter of recognition, not a matter of state force or involvement. Right? So if you care about LNC recognition, uh, you know which one of those Massachusetts parties is right for you. If you don't care about uh, LNC recognition, then pick the ones your friends are in, right? Like you, you know which one you belong in, uh, probably based on whatever it is that uh, divided them in the first place. The Bay State fight emanated from a Mises-associated block of members. There you go, the fucking Mises caucus again. Those racists. From the state party calling for a bylaw legal special convention in December 2021. The old guard attempted to quash in January 2022 by expelling from the party all who called for it. Competing conventions were then held in April and the newer Mises-oriented bloc is still the only one the LNC now recognizes as an affiliate. Still, all the libertarian candidates on the Massachusetts ballot this year are once put forth by the older body, doing so as the Libertarian Association of Massachusetts. Andrew Cordio, chair of the officially recognized Libertarian Party of Massachusetts, said in a phone interview this week that he's currently more focused on membership and volunteer growth and outreach than candidates and ballot access. I mean, I guess that's okay too, right? I mean, that that was, in my understanding, the original intent, right? The Libertarian Party exists for messaging, not necessarily about winning elections, because when you win elections, you get power to lord over others. Uh, but if you can just get more people to get involved in the ideas of freedom and liberty, then maybe, just maybe, uh, you, we can move the, you know, was it the Overton window to more freedom and more liberty. Back in the article. In 2021, the Mises caucus faction, then influential but not dominant on the LNC, was on the opposite side of the state disaffiliation case successfully blocking a move to break ties with a New Hampshire LP that was seen by the old guard as being too toxic for the national brand. Yes, yes, memeing edgelords on the Twitters. Roughly, uh, some accuse the Mises side of hypocrisy, seeing the current New Mexico situation as analogous, except now the Mises crowd are for disaffiliating a state party that displeased them. Oh, you don't say. When given the ring of power, even libertarians choose to use that in their favor? Go fucking figure. Uh, the attempted purge of the New Hampshire party, which has since attracted national attention for various inflammatory tweets. And there's a link. Like You can click on the term if you read the article, inflammatory tweets. Uh, so 
I'm, I'm not going to go there, but yes, it's one of the, you know, one of the most uh, entertaining Twitter accounts out there. I don't subscribe, I don't follow, but I do see the updates in other feeds of what those guys are tweeting out. And it is hilarious to me who doesn't care from the outside looking in. Now, inflammatory tweets led directly in June 2021 to the resignation of then national chair Joseph Bishop Henchman. Harlos, consistently the LNC's most meticulous stickler for proper parliamentary procedures, explained that the National Party's duty bound to protect the rights of members, sometimes over the actions of their governing bodies. If the if the LNC seems to be interfering with the state party, she says, it's because we have to determine who the legitimate state affiliate actually is, which has to include if they conduct themselves within their own bylaws. The LNC may be exerting a heavy hand of late in publicity and state affiliate management, but on the issues core to the functions of a political party, ballot access, and candidates, the National Party is largely irrelevant. The state parties do all the heavy lifting, have all the legal relationships to their state's electoral officials. The National Party's role is to occasionally offer financial, legal, promotional, and organizational support to either ballot access drives or, more rarely, candidates or candidate training. The National Party does pick a presidential ticket by majority delegate vote at its biannual convention in presidential election years, but every state affiliate has the legal power to ignore that choice and place its own preferred candidate. It almost never happens with any state party in happy affiliation with the LNC, but a rogue Arizona LP in 2000 did place science fiction writer L. Neil Smith on the presidential ballot in a state over national choice, Harry Brown. It seems overwhelmingly likely that whoever the Libertarian presidential nominee selected by the National Convention delegates in, is in 2024, he or she will not be on the ballot in all 50 states, a threshold that the LP has achieved the past two presidential elections uh, and six times total in its 50-year history. Despite these state conflicts, including assertions that current national policies are hurting the brand, according to its August financial report, uh, the National Party's number of active donors did begin rising after uh, the May convention turnover in management. Though as of August, the number is lower than in any month in 2021 under the leadership displaced in Reno, August revenue is lower than the vast majority of months of the past year after a huge May rise that beat all but one month of the past year. Lucini, in an email this week, said that there are plans to launch a new national organization of state libertarian parties that do not wish to be affiliated with the current Mises-dominated LNC. While Lucini would not name any state specifically, he said he is confident from back-channel discussions that while New Mexico was the first to disaffiliate while still being recognized by the LNC, it certainly won't be the last. Uh, there are several like, corrections in the article. Uh, end of the article. So again, for me, this is just uh, pure entertainment from the sidelines, and mostly because, again, the, the New Hampshire affiliate or whatever is so damn entertaining on Twitter 
and so divisive uh, when it comes to messaging uh, that of of course, right? Of course, these one of these you know the the third party, right? Who's never put any sort of real pressure on the establishment Republicans and Democrats uh, can't get their shit together and are already uh, fracturing off and splitting apart, right? Like, you know, if, 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 if party politics is your bag, man, right, and you're, you know, and you're, you were hoping for something that will topple the behemoth that is the Republican-Democrat-controlled federal uh, government, uh, forget it. The, the Libertarian Party uh, is now on the, like, the downward side of that curve, right? The, the best thing you can hope for is that whatever state you happen to be in, if, you're, if you are into party politics, that your state party uh, is doing what's necessary to support libertarian growth in your state. Uh, but again, as far as party politics is concerned, right, the goal is to run candidates and win elections, right, which rarely happens and will likely never happen for you in your state in your lifetime. Uh, and so if that's your bag, again, like maybe the move to New Hampshire is right for you because at least some of them stand a chance here. And if they don't stand a chance within the Libertarian Party, uh, there are liberty-friendly people running as, you know, right now Republicans, previously Democrats or whatever, wherever, wherever they can get in uh, to, make the ch- you know, to make those changes done at the local level. But, you know, libertarian divorce, national divorce, secession, NH exit, all that fun stuff, right? They just fractionalize it down to the individual. Uh, but if it has to start somewhere, let's get the states separated from the federal government. Let's get the city separated from the states, you know, and then we can work our way down that rabbit hole throughout history. Uh, I am out of time. That was the article. That will do it for me this week. You guys know where to find us. Uh, there's going to be some changes to the timing of the regularly scheduled podcast. I will get with uh, MC uh, to discuss that going forward. Um, so I don't have a good announcement as to when you can hear us, which is why it's important to get on the clubhouse and get the notifications from me uh, when we start doing the live show uh, at, a, at a new regularly scheduled time. Uh, for now, find us on Telegram, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience on our website, anarchistexperience.com. Or if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. <laughs>